This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. A week or so ago, a listener mentioned to me that we never cover the specific tools that brands are using to achieve what we talk about. So in true overcorrection fashion, we're going to go deep on the tools today. Specifically, we're going to talk about the tech stack for CS and e-commerce. And to talk about those tools, the philosophy, and the team today, I have Dan Brady, Customer Success Manager at Pure Vita joining us. Welcome to the show, Dan. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Alex. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, before we get too deep into anything, do you mind giving our listeners um, just a quick overview of what Pura Vita is all about? Yeah, definitely. So Pura Vita is a jewelry and lifestyle brand that was founded in 2010 after our co-founders took a surf trip to Costa Rica. And what initially happened, how the brand started was they purchased 400 bracelets from some local artisans and brought them back to the States. And then they quickly sold out of those 400 bracelets. Uh, I think then it just kind of clicked and they they thought, hey, you know, maybe we can make a business out of this. So what's interesting is uh, some of the initial struggles in setting up the business just included the fact that the artisans they purchased the bracelets from actually didn't have email addresses or any way to accept payment. So our co-founders, Paul and Griffin, actually set them up with a PayPal and an email address uh, in order to get more inventory. And I guess you could say the rest is history. So well, Pura Vita started off selling string bracelets. You know, now we've expanded and we also offer anklets, earrings, necklaces, all types of jewelry. And this year, what's very exciting is we've expanded into apparel. So we have t-shirts, sweatshirts. Uh, we just launched hats yesterday, actually, believe it or not. And so nice. just continuing to offer new products. And uh, I think we're, we're transitioning from a jewelry brand into more of a lifestyle brand. So we actually changed our Instagram handle from Pura Vita bracelets to just Pura Vita to try and, you know, become a, uh, a little bit more accurate in terms of what we're trying to do as a brand moving forward. I love that. It's always impressed me moving from bracelets into apparel, into hats. Like you guys are always up to something new. And I love that transition, especially changing the Instagram from bracelets to just Pura Vita. And correct me if I'm wrong, Pura Vita, pure life. It's a, it's a very Costa Rican saying as well, too. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that's what it translates to. And in Costa Rica is, of course, the country where Pure Vita was founded, essentially. And uh, I think what's so interesting is the artisans that our co-founders, Paul and Griffin, met way back in 2010, they're actually still in touch with them on a weekly basis, constant communication. And um, it, we're proud to say that we now employ over 800 artisans around the world. So, you know, it's definitely a feel-good type vibe when you're purchasing from Pure Vita. I like that you use vibe there too. I feel like vibes is definitely the term to use for Pura Vita. So Dan, you are on the customer success team at Pura Vita. And I, I kind of want to start there actually. Customer success, not support. Um, I'm seeing this change made more and more often. You're seeing the name change from support to customer success. What's the CS team ultimately responsible for at Pura Vita? Yeah, you know, well, when I think of a traditional customer service or customer support team, I kind of think of like, you know, just being able to handle incoming inquiries. You think about a lot of the KPIs include like average handle time, you know, how many calls or emails were you able to accept that given day. For us, we actually look at customer success in a much bigger picture. So, of course, while we're doing what a traditional support or service team does in terms of handling inquiries and uh, you know, trying to have quick average first response time or low average handle time, if you will. 
We also try and support the business in a lot of different aspects as well. So a, a great example would be our customer support team oversees our custom order and fundraise efforts as well. So um, you can order customized bracelets and uh, you can use them for fundraise purposes. And we actually have a team that oversees that, for example. In addition, uh, my team also handles all of our Facebook ad comments as well. So we work very closely with the marketing department and really trying to be on the front lines to determine, you know, what are our customers saying? What are some of the detractors we're looking at? What do people like? Where are areas that we can improve? So we try not to just be a customer support or service team and focus on some of the traditional KPIs, but we really try and support Pure Vita and other aspects as well, not just directly assisting customers, but helping to support some of the other departments as well, including marketing, you know, social media, our e-commerce manager, we work extremely closely with, and even our, our shipping warehouse. You know, We do a lot of work in terms of making sure that the orders are being fulfilled in a timely manner and just being in constant communication with our three different warehouses. So we have one here in the States, one in Canada, and one over in the Netherlands, actually. And so uh, we work very closely with a lot of different departments really just to make sure that our customers are being set up for success in general. I like that support because we've used it in the past so much. It's kind of like, oh, I respond to incoming questions in tickets. And when you talk about customer success, it ends up being kind of this glue between a bunch of different departments. And you mentioned a bunch there. You mentioned marketing. We have the warehousing. We have the logistics side of things, even like the custom and the fundraise side of things, Facebook, social, like there's so many different aspects of it. And if I were to ask you, customer success and like the future of e-com, like how should the new age e-commerce brand be thinking about customer success? Obviously, Pura Vita is one, I'd argue one of the bigger brands on Shopify right now. What do those brands that are more up and coming and they're starting to figure out customer success for the first time, what should they be focusing on? You know, I think they should be focusing more on their long-term goals and efforts when you, when you think about your relationship with your customers. So I think oftentimes, Brands are so focused on the short-term goals, you know, daily, weekly, even monthly or quarterly. Whereas, uh, think more about three to five-year plan and really think about your customers in a different way. So, rather than focus on short-term goals, I think if you shift your focus to more of your long-term goals for your brand, keeping customer success in mind, I think that's a good where to start. And in addition. You know, when I think about some of the uh, brands who maybe are not doing customer success right now, but maybe just doing customer service, I think they're at a disadvantage. And if you look at some of their competitors who maybe are encompassing more of customer success as a whole, I think you're doing your brand a disservice if you're not looking at it from a, a three to five year focus as opposed to kind of some of the short term goals that I think a lot of brands focus too much on. And when you talk about the short term goals, do you have any examples of, let's say someone who's doing that reactive, let's say they're they're more in that customer support mentality than the customer success mentality. What do you see those brands getting wrong? What are some of the traps that they're falling into? Yeah, that's a tough question. You know, I, I think people are so used to customer support and customer service as it's been defined for so many years. And that's just directly answering customer inquiries. And while that is, you know, customer success at a very fundamental and basic level, I think it's very important that you look at your customer success team and just think about how it relates to how your customer success team can help support other departments as well. So like I alluded to earlier in the call, my team is in constant communication with our marketing department, our e-commerce team, even our, our web team as well, and making sure that everything with the website is up to speed and, and kind of 
giving our customers the best customer experience possible when they're on the website. And if there is something that we see on the front lines that can be improved in any of those said departments, you know, I'm making sure that I'm relaying that to the appropriate parties so that we can really keep the customer in mind as we grow as a business and continue to, you know, just grow as a brand. And when you're collecting that information, so when you're when you're learning what's going on on the front lines and able to relay some of that information into the other departments, I'm going to make an assumption here that the customer success team at Pura Vida is not a small team. How do you go about making sure that you're collecting the right information and getting it out to those different parties? Like maybe this is actually the transition into some of the tools. Like do you have any advice for people trying to collect that frontline information and making sure it gets to the right places? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that I think we had both been eager to discuss on this podcast was just having the right tech stack and and working with the right vendors or partners in order to make sure that you're setting your team up for success. I know it's a a very cliche saying, but happy customers uh, equal or happy advocates, excuse me, equal happy customers. And so I really want to make sure that I'm doing my part as customer success manager to set my team up with the tools needed for them to do their jobs efficiently and effectively. So I think the help desk, of course, is probably the biggest one, you know, as far as customer success managers are concerned, making sure that you have a good help desk that allows you to easily communicate with your customers via whatever your preferred channels are. For us, it's about 85 to 90 percent email. Certainly, we handle chats and Instagram DMs as well. And, and you know, we help out on social, too. So aside from the help desk, which is huge in terms of making sure that you're tagging conversations appropriately and getting that relevant data that you need for decision makers, I think you also need to make sure that you're allowing customers the ability to leave the necessary feedback. So that includes, you know, how is your customer satisfaction rating? How is your customer effort score? And then in addition, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting relevant product feedback. We do that through Yotpo, for example. So that's very product specific. But then as a brand, you know, we monitor our net promoter score, of course, through Delighted. And that kind of is more as the brand of a whole. Um, And then lastly, we also allow for feedback on Trustpilot as well, just to kind of gauge, you know, what are our customers saying about us? What are areas of improvement? And, you know, what are we doing well? And I think when you combine, you know, the right tech stack stool, tech stack tools, excuse me, uh, I think that it's really just crucial to make sure that you're you're taking the feedback your customers are giving you and relaying it to the appropriate parties for consideration. That's really interesting because when I asked that question, I was thinking about just like, hey, making sure that the members of your team are able to leave that feedback and it gets into the right place. And you've taken that into, hey, people are going to be leaving feedback and giving you areas to improve or things that they love in a bunch of different places. So, hey, your team's collecting that in the help desk. But hey, we have delighted to you for our MPS and we have Trustpilot and Yapo, and we're collecting all of this in different, like there's not one spot where this is all going to come together. You need to be opening as many gates as you can to be getting that feedback. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, frankly, in my opinion, it doesn't matter what the outlet is. Anywhere our customers are leaving feedback, we want to know, right? So like you said, obviously Yapo is a huge one for us. Trustpilot, Stella Connect is where we run our CSAT and customer effort scores as well. Uh, but anywhere that people are leaving feedback, we want to know. And that includes, you know, the Better Business Bureau. We monitor our Google reviews. So anywhere that allows customers or per- potential customers to leave feedback, we want to know. We monitor that very, very closely. And, you know, if we see something that's not right or something that's a very common detractor, I'm making sure that I'm doing my part as customer success manager to relay that to the appropriate parties for consideration and, and hopefully adjustments. 
When you're talking about that tech stack for the customer success side of things, like you talked about, hey, we're monitoring things in social. Like it, it sounds like the customer success team at Pura Vita is kind of getting involved in a bunch of different areas. And I know some of the tools you talked about there, let's call them the more traditional areas of the tech stack. Like I think the things that you said there, every single customer success team that's growing is going to want to put those into place. What in the tech stack do you think is really like, branching out, setting Pura Vida apart and allowing you to kind of be in all those different areas that you talked about? Yeah, well, you know, I think just when we're talking about tech stack, you you kind of mentioned that a lot of the things that I have already spoken about are kind of traditional and maybe very commonly known amongst customer success professionals. So I guess I'll give some shouts to maybe some other, you know, vendors that maybe are not as widely recognized, but we partner with a company called Thankful that specializes in artificial intelligence responses. And they're able to really help answer a lot of our basic customer service inquiry related questions. You know, so like we all know that where is my order is extremely common in any e-commerce or direct to consumer brand. So we really leverage Thankful a lot for our Wismo related requests. And uh, on a typical month, Thankful usually is able to resolve anywhere from 20 to 25% of our incoming inquiries. So it's a huge resource for us. And I would highly encourage any customer success manager to consider AI, whether it's with their respective help desk. Um, Of course, we work with Thankful and I've been on the record many times having great things to say about Thankful because yeah, what we do again as a customer success team, while we do answer customer inquiries, of course, there's a lot more that goes into it. So having a partner like Thankful that is able to just alleviate some of the pressure off of our agents or advocates rather and allow them to focus on some of the things that they do very well uh, has been a huge help for us. And aside from Thankful, I, I do want to give a shout out to Loop as well, because I think one thing that people maybe don't always focus on is that post-purchase experience, right? Yeah. There's so much emphasis on leading up to the sale, making sure that your conversion rate is good, your marketing as efforts are good, and then getting on the website, you know, of course, you're always looking to raise that AOV and make sure that customers are hopefully buying as much as possible. But what about after the customer receives their order? I think sometimes once you get the sale, it's kind of like some brands are able to celebrate and they're happy for that, but you know, are you offering returns and exchanges and just making sure that you're setting your customers up for success even after the purchase? We know that the job is not quite done then, and we want to make sure that customers have the right size, have the right color, they're satisfied with their purchase. And if not, it should be an easy experience. You know, I think even if you like the brand and you you make a purchase, but then you need to do a return or exchange, I know I've personally experienced times where that process has not been so easy And it makes me a little bit more hesitant to do business with that brand moving forward. So just being able to set your customers up for success does not end once the sale has been completed. You need to make sure that you're giving them a good post-purchase experience, which I think, uh, you know, some brands maybe could improve. A hundred percent agree on the post-purchase side of things. And hey, we're we're all customers, right? All of us have bought something online. And I, I like the way you put it there because it's not over once I make that purchase. There's a lot of people out there and like myself and probably you included where you buy something and you don't love it, but you also don't hate it. Mm -hmm. And you kind of are just stuck in limbo and I'm holding this and I'm going to put it in my closet. I'm going to put it somewhere and I'm never going to use it again. If we're only looking at the pre-purchase job well done, like it went out there, it didn't come back, but Hey, I don't love this. And if I make it easy to get into a product that I do love, 
I'm more likely to come back. I'm more likely to tell other people about that. Is there anything on the customer success side that Pure Vita is doing to kind of help on that that post-purchase side of things as well? Like kind of any proactive outreach that you guys are doing? Like we have the returns in exchange, making that easy, making sure that people can find it. Anything else that you're doing to make sure they have a product they absolutely love? Yeah, well, you know, I think it just starts with making sure the website has all the information needed for purchases. We we had a little bit more leniency when we're talking about our string bracelets because mm-hmm. they're they're very adaptable and they fit virtually any size wrist. So, you know, now that we're expanding into apparel and backpacks, for example, and now hats, we need to make sure that we're giving the customers all the relevant information in terms of sizing. You know, how does this fit? I know I can vary from a size large or an extra large, depending on the brand, how much is it going to shrink? How is it intended to be styled? And so when I'm going on a website, I want to make sure that I have all the information necessary to make an informed purchase decision. So I think it starts with making sure the website has everything you need and then also making sure that your response times are good, right? So if someone's unsure and let's say you message in, you're doing a live chat and you're curious, you're on the fence between two sizes, you're not sure... I want to make sure our team is giving you a very prompt answer and that, you know, there's no questions being left unturned so that when you go to make that purchase decision, you know, you're aware, you you read up on the website, you spoke to a live representative, and now you're able to go ahead and, and just make that purchase. And just while we're talking about the post-purchase experience, I think it's worth mentioning that within the last month, we actually expanded and doubled our return and exchange timeframe from 15 days to 30 days So we looked at 15 days when we think about the time it takes for a consumer to get their product or products, you know, sometimes that's not enough time. And like you said, it's not like the first instant you try something on, you know, right away. Sometimes that's the case, but other times maybe you need a couple of days to think about it. So for us, being able to offer, first of all, free returns and exchanges where there's no handling fee whatsoever, that's a huge portion, right? And then in addition, by expanding from 15 to 30 days, I think we're really giving customers much more time to think about their purchase, just consider, is this something I want to keep or exchange? And I think by giving them adequate time, that just makes for a much better customer experience. Makes for a better customer experience like post-purchase, but those longer return windows actually help on the pre-purchase side as well. Because like something like 67% of customers are checking a return policy before they actually make a purchase. So the more time you give them, the more customer-centric and lenient you are, you're actually reducing that perceived risk of the purchase and making someone more likely to actually give you a try. So you posted this to LinkedIn. I think I was one of the first people to comment on it. Like, I love the expansion of the return window there. And we'll have to get Dan to share how that has gone once we're able to collect a little bit more information on it, because I know it's a bit new right now. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I meet with my boss and discuss KPIs pretty frequently. And I can tell you right now, the return or exchange rate has not really changed a whole lot since we, you know, doubled the length, which is great. And our return rate is something very, very minimal. It's like below 0.5%. It's like 0.0036%. So it's extremely minimal, which is great. And like you said, in terms of the pre-purchase aspect, we do advertise happiness guaranteed with every purchase and we mean it. You know, if you're not happy, we want to make things right for you. We put it into our advertisements for a reason. And yeah, you know, I I work very closely with our director of customer acquisition. And one thing I've recommended to her is the fact that we actually have a one-year warranty on all of our products. And I don't know that that gets advertised as much as it should. So just this week, I kind of 
you know, asked her, I'm like, hey, are you aware of this policy? And we made sure we were aligned. And now we're actually integrating that into some of our ads and SEO as well on Google side of things. So we want people to know, hey, you know, we make these artisan string bracelets and sometimes they break, you know, but when they do, if it's been within a year, we'll gladly replace it. No problem. Just send us a message with their order number. And, you know, as long as it's within a year, we're, we're happy to replace that. So I think it's very important to make sure that your marketing is aligned with your customer experience. Let them know happiness is guaranteed. We have a one year warranty on our products, 30 days free returns exchanges. So again, happiness is quite literally guaranteed with every purchase at Pura Vida. And we want to make sure that customers are happy. If they're not, we'll make it right. The post-purchase experience is a marketing asset, and a lot of people forget about that. It's something that they communicate once someone has already made the purchase, but it's it's a big driver in why people are going to choose a brand. So I love that you guys found that and are able to get that out into, out into the market. It's something that I find myself recommending to everyone. A lot of people go, Alex, what's like your number one tip for like helping us on the post-purchase side? Make your returns and exchanges policy just more visible. Don't hide it it's going to help you out in the long run. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. You know, when I think about some of the most respected brands out there, I think like L.L. Bean, for example, and Costco, they're so well respected. And and I think a large part of that is because we know their return and exchange policy is extremely lenient. And it's, it's kind of one of those deals where you go into it as a consumer, like, hey, I can shop at Costco knowing if I'm really not satisfied with anything I purchase here, they're not going to twist my arm and give me a hard time about like returning or exchanging an item. And I think when brands really put their money where their mouth is and they're not overly concerned about, hey, what's our return or exchange rate going to be? If that's your concern, I think you need to more focus on the products that you're pushing as opposed to the policy, because it kind of just shows that you're maybe not super confident that people will like what you're selling. And that in itself is probably a, a whole bigger problem that needs to be considered. If you're not willing to show it, it signals to the customer a lack of trust. I think a lack of trust in your product and a lack of trust in in your ability to deliver on what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, I think we're at a day and age now where, hey, let's all just be transparent about how we do business. And I think consumers really respect that. When, Like you said, when you're a little bit shady on some of your policies, I think that's where maybe some people, it doesn't sit as well with them. And even to like these long return windows, like I would, I'll need to look at the exact number, but we were just recently looking at like, when do returns happen? I think 80% are happening in the first three weeks, kind of regardless of how long you make that return window. So no matter how long you make it, people are going to use it in kind of like that suggested time frame, anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I think, well, 30 days, in my opinion, is kind of the market standard. Like you said, for those who maybe do offer a more lenient, like 60 or 90 days, for example, I bet if you really pulled the data, a vast majority still occur within that 30-day time frame anyway. So it's good to expand the time frame, but I'm sure there's not really a whole lot of action taking place after that 30-day window regardless. So far, we've talked about the help desk. We've talked about where to collect information. We talked about AI responses. We talked about a returns tool. Is there any other tools in the tech stack that you think other customer success managers out there should be paying attention to? I guess maybe I'm asking you to share your your secret weapons here, but anything else that people should be looking for? Well, I think a big thing that I would like to touch upon is marketing, right? So when you think about your pre-purchase experience, you think about marketing. So email marketing and text message marketing, I think are both huge, hugely common in e-commerce and direct-to-consumer brands. So when you get on a website, especially for the very first time, What usually happens within the first 10 seconds of you being on that site? 
oh, give me your email, get 15% off. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so I think that's something that I think most brands do. And if you're not, you really should take advantage of that. It's such an easy way to acquire emails for your your future email marketing list. And I think more and more brands are now pivoting to a similar offer with text messaging. I know some people are more particular about uh, not receiving text message marketing and and whatnot, but I, I do still think especially for brands like Pure Vita, where our target demographic is 16 to 24-year-olds, you need to make sure you have SMS marketing or you're at least offering it. And you can do so in a number of different ways. I think many companies offer exclusive deals or you know early offers and whatnot. But I do think that for brands, um, you know, making sure that you have an effective SMS and email marketing strategy is definitely something that we talk about like on the pre-purchase side of thing. That's huge, right? And and in addition, you want to make sure that you're keeping your customers up to date with new product offerings and you know, just making sure that your marketing is on point so that when they get to the website, they already know exactly what they want to buy. And from there, hopefully get a few upsells going and from there, make sure your customer success team is taking care of them. That's interesting. When you said like, hey, it's 16 to 24, we need to make sure we're on the right channel. Do you see that on the customer success side as well? Like are people trying to communicate with you more on social versus on the site versus via email? Like are you seeing a preference there from the customer base? Yeah, I mean, you know, for us especially, we do handle hundreds, if not thousands of Instagram DMs every month. And that's just because of our particular brand, our demographic. We have over 2 million followers. So when we post like, hey, yesterday, for example, we had all this various content regarding new hats that we are going to be launching. I think it's very easy for people, especially our demographic. They're on their phones already. They just saw this hot new product they're curious about. They'll just go ahead and either like reply to the story directly or send us a DM and Maybe say, hey, Alex, I saw this new hat you're offering. Just curious about sizing or return policy or whatever. And so there's a big emphasis for us on handling Instagram direct messages. In addition, we do do a lot of live chats as well. And I think that's very common amongst the younger generations. For us, email is about 80 to 90% of our communication. And one big shout that I think kind of makes us a little bit unique is that we're actually not taking live phone calls right now. Instead, we offer the ability for customers to leave voicemails. But for us, we just don't really find there's a huge demand for the the voice support given our particular brand. Uh, Just to be very clear, I think it's unique for each and every brand. And I'm not saying, hey, you should scrap your voice support. Some brands, it's essential. But for us, it's one, the most costly to staff, right? Two, it has the longest average handle times. And you can't, support more than one customer at a time. Whereas live chat, our agents can handle, you know, three to five live chats at a time. Whereas voice, it's very costly. You can't help more than one person out at a time. And I would argue there's virtually nothing that we can't answer via email or chat that we could via phone. I think uh, just leaving customers the ability to leave a voicemail is adequate for us. Again, it might not be the case for other brands, but for us, it's a lot more focused on chat and DMs as opposed to voice. And that's because you think of 16 to 24 year olds, they hardly even like talking to their friends on the phone, (laughs) let alone calling a company for questions, you know? So it just doesn't really work for our particular demographic. Even on that side of things, like when you're talking, hey, we're answering all of this on Instagram. I feel like there's a lot of brands out there that are kind of forcing people to the site to to email, actually. Any tips for brands out there on dealing with customer inquiries on social? Like, I know it's kind of hard, and that's why people keep on pushing back to the site and like, hey, communicate with us via email. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the things you can consider would be if you're already like if your brand deems it's necessary to answer those DMs, consider what help desk you're using, because a lot of help desks nowadays, the DMs can actually filter right into your inbox. And at that point, they essentially become emails, right? Like I know it's being sent through a direct message as opposed to emailing like info at puravitabracelets.com. But at a certain point, they're just customer inquiries that are being filtered into your help desk. So for us, we partner with customer, for example, and they give us the ability to, if we want, we can have our DMs come right into customer and we can work directly out of the help desk. So for brands, I would recommend considering what help desk you're on. And if it's within the best interest of your brand to maybe just have DMs filter through your help desk. And then at that point, like I said, they're essentially just emails or customer inquiries. So uh, I think that's a, a very good point to start is just, hey, you know, like we've mentioned earlier in the call, having the right help desk for your brand is, is definitely one of the most critical decisions a customer success manager can make. A hundred percent agree. And that's really smart with, hey, they're happening in a bunch of different places. But if we can have everything kind of filter into one spot on our end, it is just the ability to answer that in one spot. So I, I, I think that's super smart. Now, we've covered a lot about the tools there, but I was hoping I could also ask you a couple of questions on what I think is probably the biggest question happening in e-com right now. E-com's growing like crazy. Because of that, we need talent. We need talent in the space. And I guess my question to you is when it comes to finding the best CS reps for e-com, where should people be looking? Is there an adjacent industry or like something that you think is a, go- a great go-to when looking for CS talent? Yeah, you know, I think there's like three main areas that I tend to prefer when looking for candidates. One, I'll start with sales professionals, right? So I think I resonate with that because I started my career in sales and then I switched over to customer service and then now obviously I'm in customer success. But when I think about sales professionals, we know they have to have a very strong work ethic. We know that they have to be used to dealing with people. And sometimes those people are not always very nice, right? Some of those rejections (laughs) are a little bit more firm and unfriendly than others. Um, And then just basic skills, you know, punctuality. We already mentioned the work ethic. But I think a big thing is just the ability to hit your expected quota on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. So it's pretty easy to look at, hey, I'm expected to be accountable for X number of sales. Well, guess what? If you switch over to service, it's essentially the same thing where you're going to have quotas that are expected to be hit. And so I think sales is a great place to start. We know sales is a very challenging industry, and especially for entry-level professionals. Some people know after their first sales job, hey, this is not for me. And so I think sales is definitely a good place to look for customer success professionals. But I also think that you can look at hospitality, right? If you're someone who's maybe been in the hospitality industry, a lot of entry-level jobs. I know I've worked as a server briefly in my career. And if you can work as a server where you're on your feet all day, you're running around constantly doing stuff, you're dealing with customers, uh, certainly in a little bit different capacity when you talk about like food and, and drink as opposed to tangible products that are sold online. I think hospitality professionals deserve a shout. They do a very difficult job and they're used to conflict management, resolution, dealing with people. I think that's an industry you can look. And then if you're looking at entry level or people who maybe don't have a ton of career experience, but you're you're vetting some people that are fresh out of college or trade school or whatever, I think student athletes deserve a shout out too. Because if you're a student athlete, you're used to teamwork, you're used to being on time, 
you're used to just hard work in general. Um, and so I know like I was a student athlete in college, I played soccer and, and the skills that I picked up as a student athlete, I think are directly transferable to being a good professional in terms of some of the things I spoke about being on time, being a good teammate, working hard, working towards goals, understanding how to improve, right? Like in the off season, that's almost my favorite time of the year where I can craft my skills and improve. And so I think a lot of those skills are very transferable to customer success. So again, sales, hospitality, and student athletes, I think are three areas that I look when I'm hiring. I think those are all really good spots to look. And for the reasons you mentioned, like handling rejection happens in sales all the time. Conflict management, that is a big thing in hospitality. So I think those are some great industries to look at. And do you have any kind of like go-to questions? So there's so many people out there hiring right now. Mm-hmm. What are some of the questions that you think get to some of those core things that you're looking for in CS people for e-com? Yeah. Well, you know, we'll start with the classic. Have you ever dealt with an unreasonable customer? If so, how did you handle it? And then how would you handle it today? Uh, I think that's one of the most classic questions you ask. And sometimes I don't like to ask it because I think people are expecting it to a degree, but... Too prepared for it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But I think you can weed out candidates if they don't have uh, an unruly or unreasonable customer that they've dealt with in their career that in itself is a little bit of a red flag where, you know, everyone should have at least one customer who they remember who really gave them a hard time. And I love hearing just about the various stories that people bring, but it's really just um, one, it shows how prepared are they for the interview? Because it's kind of an obvious question that people ask. So if they don't have a story, I think that's a little bit concerning, certainly not a make or break, but something to be considered. And then I just want to hear about the story, how they were able to resolve it. And I think it's very interesting when you put that final twist on it. How did you handle it then? And how would you have handled it now? That's big. Yeah, you find some interesting points that come out of that because sometimes and, and hopefully there's maybe a little bit different. You know, you like to think about how people grow and evolve and maybe how they would handle situations differently. So while a very, very classic question for customer success professionals, I do still think there's a lot of value that can be taken from that question. And then similarly, I like to ask, can you tell me about a time you were proud of the level of service you gave to a customer? It's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, but I love to hear about, you know, how someone was able to really make a unique customer experience. And I think that kind of shows problem solving abilities. And also a key thing that I think any customer success professional should look for when vetting candidates is their level of empathy, right? Yeah. I think it's really important to make sure that empathy is something that is ingrained into your advocates and something I certainly look for when I'm considering who I want to hire. I think that last point is really important and it actually kind of comes into what you were saying with, hey, how did you handle it then and how would you handle it now? Because one, yeah, the growth there, but if that person's able to look at the current, like that situation that happened, empathize with the customer and be like, hey, I actually think it could improve, like my approach could improve, how we actually approach the customer could improve here. Because I think like that's the biggest thing right now. And you, you mentioned it with support to success is like going from reactive answering of things and like help to proactive and like, how can I support the entire business? And that type of question is going to find that type of candidate that's looking at, hey, how did I solve it then? How do I change that? How do I empathize with the customer and build something greater tomorrow? Yeah. And, you know, I always enjoy hearing about if they would handle the situation different with a unruly customer. I think what that shows is a little bit of humility when people say like, oh, you know, I I thought I handled it well then. I wouldn't change a thing. It's like, okay, even if you nailed it and you did handle it very well, I like when people's brains kind of click and they think, you know, X number of years ago, I handled it this way. 
well, that was maybe adequate. Here's how I would handle it differently now. That to me shows humility and people's ability to recognize their own personal growth or professional growth, which I think is big too. Now, we've talked about a lot here today, but if I was to ask you, hey, Dan, what is like the number one thing you want people to take away from our conversation today? What do you think that one thing is? You know, I think if you have a customer service or a customer support team, I think that's fine. And it's important that every company, of course, has that, right? You need to be able to answer customer inquiries, but really just think about your team. And if you look at your team as a cost rather than an investment, I think you have the wrong mindset. And I think you need to look at your team as an investment and really think about your customer success team in a different light, right? When you think of it as an investment rather than a cost, I think you'll really have greater results because you're not looking at it as, oh, I think some companies view it as, hey, this is a necessary expense. Like I think some companies feel like, hey, if we could scrap away with answering these darn customer inquiries, <laughs> we would save so much money and we'd be in a better place. No, think about your customer success team as an investment. And when you invest in your people, you invest in the right tech stack. And when you do those things, I think you're really just setting your your not only your customer success team up for greater success, no pun intended, but just <laughs> your brand as a whole, right? Because when, you, when it's a cost, I think that's viewed as a negative thing. But when you look at it as an investment, that's positive. And hey, how can we you know, grow this team? And how can this team better support marketing? How can this team better support e-commerce? How can this team better support dev and web? How can this team better support our product teams? And look at your customer success team as an asset that can grow your business and provide relevant feedback to the right departments rather than, hey, this is a cost. Hey, can we lay anyone off or can we reduce customer support costs like by any means necessary? You know, it's fine to reduce costs where applicable, but look at your customer success team as an investment or an asset rather than a cost. And when I think when you do that, it just kind of shifts really the entire way you look at how you help customers and how you grow your brand as a whole. I love that. It's not a cost, it's an investment. And we talked about it in the middle of the episode too, with like in the past in e-commerce, so much has been done on the pre-purchase side of things. And like kind of the last frontier to really differentiate and go above and beyond is actually post-purchase. And what team is going to be having the most interactions post-purchase? It's going to be your customer success team. So it's no, it's not a cost. It is an investment. And one of the biggest things in e-com right now is customer retention. Putting the investment here, that's what's going to lead to customer retention. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, another really big thing that I wanted to touch upon, too, is like your customer success team should be helping your company drive revenue as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so I know sometimes it can be a little bit tricky for management to like understand that. Or I guess better way to phrase it is it's hard to quantify it right from a dollar amount. I think it's very difficult to get those numbers, you know, like you said, as far as, well, like one upselling, that's something customer success team should be doing. Um, retention, that's something customer success team should be doing. And even from there, one of my big focuses uh, as I close in on a year now with Pura Vida and our goals moving forward is to really kind of become a revenue driver for the company. And that means also like recommending products, completing transactions through live chat or via the phone. And I think we we have a lot of exciting things ahead now that we're expanding into more apparel-based products. I think our AOV will only continue to rise. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to start really just continuing to drive revenue for the brand as a whole. And I think when you're able to do that, management kind of sees it. And I think 
especially when you're reporting to a CFO and co-founder, if you're able to say, hey, look at how much revenue my customer success team was able to help drive the brand as a whole. Uh, it just only adds value to the brand, to the company as a whole. And uh, it's very important to customer success teams to consider how much revenue are you driving and how can you improve that figure moving forward? Yep. Acquisition is more expensive than ever and it's harder than ever. So customer success teams are vital to making sure that you can create ongoing value and not just rely on those one-time sales. You make a great point with all these changes that are going on in terms of like the marketing and, and customer privacy and data. It seems like it's only going to be more expensive to acquire these customers. So if you already have them, do whatever you can to make them happy and keep them coming back and make sure those AOVs are looking good. And I think it starts and ends with your customer success team and and your ability to not only answer customer inquiries, like we talked about on a very basic service and support level, but how can you make a better customer experience? And I think when you think about pre-purchase, like the purchase experience and post-purchase, I think your customer success team has to be very closely aligned with all the efforts from various departments to make sure that you're really doing everything you can to keep these customers coming back and hopefully continuing to purchase at high AOVs. Customer success post-purchase, it's the new frontier of e-commerce. Like this is where the industry is heading. So everyone listening today, Dan's given us a ton to think about, both from a tooling perspective, a philosophy perspective, even given us some great tips on how you can hire and find the best talent for this. Now, Dan, for anyone listening, if they want to follow along with you, anywhere they can do that, active on LinkedIn or Twitter or a blog or anything like that? Yeah, you know, I feel like you you know you're getting older when your favorite avenue of uh, social media is LinkedIn. So uh, LinkedIn is definitely where I'm the most active. So if people do want to follow me, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my username is Daniel N. Brady. Um, you can search Dan Brady on Pura Vita bracelets and always happy to connect and and meet new people. So feel free to connect and uh, preferably send me a note and just introduce yourself. I'm always happy to meet new customer success people or really anyone who's interested in being professionally connected. Awesome. We'll put Dan's LinkedIn in the show notes. And uh, I don't know if it means you're getting old if you're on LinkedIn. I don't, I don't know. Does it? Yeah. I hope I'm not. not sure. Do, do, I, mean, I, do it, I need a TikTok? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't have a TikTok. don't have a Snapchat. I, I don't post much on Twitter or anything. Um, so yeah, I think LinkedIn is where I'm most active. And I'm not sure if it's a sign that I'm getting old or if I just care about my career and what's going on in uh, the professional network. But Yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn and I'd be happy to connect with anyone who would like to. We'll go with that. Now, Dan, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for sharing all your wisdom with everyone today. It's been a blast. Yeah, well, thank you again for the opportunity. I had a really great time having this conversation and hopefully some people are able to take away some good talking points. But again, thank you for your time. You did a great job moderating this conversation. That's been The Exchange presented by Luke, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.